All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to our latest uh, 2WA podcast. We, as always, are discussing topics that are relevant to managers and our do's and don'ts, tips and techniques, how you should be doing things, maybe some things you want to avoid. And today's topic is around returning to work, not just returning to work uh, in a virtual manner, but returning to work face to face. Some cracks, I think, are starting to appear here and there in terms of this idea of working from home, etc. Wall Street Journal uh, article that I saw the other day talked about the fact that it's probably not sustainable for people to be working at home full-time permanently forever. Why? A couple of reasons they threw out. One was onboarding people is brutal. How do you do that when all I've got is a screen and that's all my colleagues now? How do I get that collegiality? Deadlines are take are, are really taking a beating. What used to take an hour, said one of the respondents, now takes at least a day. And and someone noted that perhaps this initial productivity through fear, their phrase, not mine, is starting to wear off as people get used to it. There's not the same urgency. It is very unlikely, however, despite all those reasons that we're ever that we're gonna go back soon to a hundred percent face to face like the way it was. So one of the challenges is that as most organizations are experiencing, they will have some percentage of people either permanently working from home or partially working from home. And I'll give two examples of two of our clients. One was sharing with me the other day that between her and the other senior executive, they rotate who goes in the office but the rest of the time that other individual is out of the office at all times. Likewise, another company that we're working with has about a third that have been go to the office every day, about a third that go to the office sometimes, and about a third that don't want to come to the office and would like to remain working remotely. So we have all these hybrid models happening everywhere, and I think that's really where we want to hone in today is we're not talking about how you go back to the way it was. We're going to talk about how do you deal with these hybrids that are happening in the workplace. So we're going to talk about six factors to consider when you are preparing for this new hybrid or some kind of model that's different than what it was before. We're going to talk about engaging with stakeholders. We're going to talk about how to actually think about who and how many you might want to bring back. We're going to talk about communications. We are going to talk about survival guilt. We're going to talk about some ways to keep things inspiring and also how to clarify what's changing and what's not. So those are the factors that we're gonna be looking at and challenge you to see how well you're doing on all six factors. Let me start with defining the conditions around a safe reopening. I support my rugby team. I've stopped playing now, but my local rugby team is now uh, coming back to be able to play based on Rugby Canada's approval, shall we say, but you have to have a return to work plan and the plan has to be approved, you have to have the conditions, you have to have people comfortable, someone has to approve them. I would guess that every organization, be it my local sports organization, car dealership who is a client of ours, they all are putting together a package of information which is policies, procedures, and things they're going to do to do a couple things. One, convince public health authorities that yes, they're doing the right things, but I think it's as much about making employees comfortable that yeah, this is a safe place to come back to because uh, the other real constant is the fear out there is significant and it's unpredictable as who's feeling it and who's not. One of the first factors 
is to make sure that you are consulting with your stakeholders as you put this plan together. So it doesn't work to tell people what they should feel. One company that we work with shared with us one of their mistakes and they explained that they had actually told all the employees that really the only people that are in the office are the lowest paid employees because they're doing the administration and the paper and pay and a lot of the accounting and administration, but that all the executive were at their homes because that's the nature of their kind of work. And I think they were trying to rationalize the situation, but instead they told people to feel even a greater inequity than I think they did before by highlighting it. They, they admitted this mistake, uh, they saw it, but nonetheless. So what we're referring to is the importance of asking employees, what do they need to feel safe? What do consumers need to feel safe? I was just on a webinar with a, an economist who was saying that certainly Canadians are planning on spending less because they don't feel safe in stores. And so, you know, finding out what people really need is very, very important and doing so in a really genuine way. And I'll give a Shout out to one of our clients. They had 250 staff that were laid off. And when they were getting ready to return to work or create that plan that Michael spoke of, they split the list up among the executive. And each executive took on calling 50 people personally, one-on-one, -on -one, and talked to each and every person about what would you need, what do you like, what is critical. And they didn't say we can meet all your needs, but we really genuinely want to hear them. And then they were able to really uh, explain to people as they put the plan together how that input helped them and influenced them. And I think that's the first critical factor. And you know, as much as that's about talking to people while you have not yet decided to bring people back to work. It's a critical step because you have to be reaching out to both demonstrate a real sense of concern about what's important in your business. And obviously the people that work there are important. Customers are important, products and services, but you have to have your people on side with you. So if you're not checking in already, you certainly should be. I think that the feedback you might've gotten during those kinds of calls that Anne just referenced needs to continue when you start to talk about, so what would make you feel comfortable? You know. Do you see yourself coming back into the office? What would have to be the same here or different uh, at home, at work, etc.? Because the, the feedback I'm getting, and I'll just I'll reference my my wife, who's an elementary teacher, and all the teachers that are that are that have children are now contemplating how do I go back to work if daycare's not open and other schools aren't open? It's a can of worms, and uh, you need to jive into that and ask lots of questions and listen. So I'm going to say one really practical technique for people to keep in mind when they go to ask employees and they go to ask other stakeholders what they need to be able to return with confidence is four words. Ask, listen, decide, and inform. And we find that what's critical there is to ask a question to which you genuinely want to hear the answer. So if you have already decided that everyone must return, then don't ask them, would you like to return? But ask a question that to which you genuinely like to hear the answer, like what do you need to be able to work at home part of the time and in the office part of the time in terms of equipment, in terms of other things? So ask a question to which you genuinely want to hear the answer. Then two, demonstrate that you are truly listening to their response. You may not be agreeing, but you're paraphrasing, you're demonstrating you heard. The third one is obviously decide what you're going to do, create that plan, that action. And then the fourth, which is the one that sadly gets missed again and again and again and again in organizations, is to inform. So let people know how their input informed your plan. 
How how did the plan change based on the input? You know, it doesn't have to be each individual person, but in general, we heard 35% of the people we talked to wanted this, so we added this into the plan. If people can see how you responded and truly listened and took action, you will build trust. And that applies both in uh, COVID, uh, post-COVID, anytime. Ask, listen, decide, and inform. What people want to know is they've been heard, it's been considered, some action, even if it's inaction, is being taken. Then they feel part of the team. Then they feel like they're, there's a little more cohesion in the workplace. And again, that's what you're trying to, to build. It's so critical, particularly now, because we've had this very odd situation. And people are going to come back to work, I suspect, a little bewildered, a little unsure of things. And you need to take that leadership approach of trying to make people gel or get people to gel rather as quickly as possible. So we've covered factor one. Michael, why don't you speak to factor number two? It's a real practical one. And, and I think I think a lot of people might be able to relate to this based on maybe a couple of examples. So you're trying to bring back as many people as possible to the workplace. Obviously, there are going to be guidelines either from your own organization, public health, whatever it is, but you should try and bring as many people back as possible as quickly as you can. Why? One, because a half-empty office or a third-empty office is going to be odd, and that's going to continue this sense of we're in a different situation here, and maybe it's one we're not comfortable with. Not suggesting you can entirely eradicate that feeling among people, but the more you can make it seem the way it used to be, and with that's with more people, I think the better it is. I will reference going to my local, my local pub down the road that has a big outdoor patio, and you sat there the first few days it was open and there was three tables out of 25 taken. It felt weird. I didn't enjoy it. The next time I went about a week ago, there was probably two thirds of the table. There is something about, you know, human nature is that we, we need to be around others. And I think you're going to find people can get over a little bit of the sense of, mm, this is kind of weird, not sure I'm comfortable. If there's recognizable faces. So where possible, as many folks as possible back in the office. And I'll add a, a practical idea related to that, which is potentially you're declaring one day that a group or, or all the groups, you know, on Wednesday we're, you know, 75% of us are going to be in the office. So that's going to be our meeting or interaction day. And then other days it might be that people are back in their home office. So just having some ways to work that through and, and why? Well, an interesting McKinsey article the other day was saying that 74% of executives intend to shift some employees to work remotely as a permanent move. So we're going to possibly have people uh, working at home permanently, but perhaps we have days and times when you can bring many more in together. Communication number three is a wonderful lever if done properly. And, and it can be a big obstacle if not done well. This is obviously a situation where transparency, lots of communication, back to asking and talking, listening, hearing uh, in a way that people feel both listened to and that addresses some of their fears and their concerns is absolutely essential here. And I think uh, I've heard a phrase come up a couple of times that, um, and forgive the way it sounds, but you know, in this falling tide, we're, we're, we're figuring out who's swimming naked out there in terms of leaders and managers. We're finding out the people that are truly leaders and managers because we're now, in a, they're, they're essentially exposed. If you can't communicate in an empathetic, caring manner now, you probably never could but now it's going to be exposed because people are absolutely listening for that. I would suggest they're thirsty for it. 
and you've got to make sure that you hit the right tones. So I think related to that analogy, so you don't want to be taken off guard and find out you are the one who's swimming naked. So one of the things that we certainly recommend when it comes to communication is to do some testing, some surveying. There's a variety of different ways you can do it to find out how much grass you have in your organization. I'm not talking marijuana and I'm talking grass. And what we say by grass is how much the G stands for guilt, the R stands for resentment, the A stands for anxiety, the S stands for self-absorption, and the other S for stress. And there's always grass growing, just like in your lawns, but you don't want to be the company that has huge, high, knee-high grass growing. And so one of the things you need to be testing for, because that is what happens when change is not well managed, you get grass. So what you need to be testing for is that. Do you have guilt from the people that are staying home or coming in? Do you have resentment from the others that this group seems to have a different deal than I do? Or those deadlines that, Michael, you were mentioning are not being held to, and yet I just broke my back to meet that deadline. And so it's a really good thing to look for, and there are lots of good questions you can ask to get at that and understand how high is the grass in your company. Yeah, I think that reference to marijuana and probably shows our uh, um, our age. I don't believe I've heard the grass grass uh, usage for marijuana come out of any of my children or their friends' mouths in all the time I've been hearing that word. Our fourth point is a bit tied to communication, but be open and transparent about it. things have changed. Things will change. Here's what we know has changed. Here's what we don't know. And I think you've got to be very transparent about helping people out with we may not have this all figured out, folks. We know some of it. I'm going to get your help to figure out the rest of it. And, and this is back to a lot of the change and transition things that we do. I think the, our five Ps come in here. You know, what's the problem we have? What's the picture we're trying to achieve, get to? Our plan to go from problem to picture, our parts, our progress towards that. This is a nice framework to make sure that you talk about the fact that, hey, we know what the picture will look like to a degree. I don't know what it looks like after let's say December and I'll, I'll use my son who is going back to online school in September and all he knows is it's online till December and I don't know what comes after that. Well, everyone would love to have that closure to know what that looks like for the second half of the year. You won't. You might as well put that out there, share with people what you know, ask great questions to see if you get their ideas and you're going to have to just ride that uncertainty probably for the next I'll say six months anyway, and that, that may well be short. It's so critical to be able to say, so what do we know is going to stay the same? And what do we know that's going to be different? And I read a study, and I'm going to get the statistics right, but I'll give you the, the thought of it, which is something like 14% of employees are planning on reskilling or skilling up or improving their skills between now and 2030. Yet, 87% of companies say that they need new skills, they've got skill gaps, they need people to develop some different skills, improve skills. So we've got a big disconnect. And so for organizations, if you're wondering, you know, what should you be communicating, it'd be a good idea to communicate part of these things are staying the same, like our core values, etc., well, what is different is we're going to need more people that are talented, that have improved their abilities in here. So you want a way to help or you want to really engage, this is an area where you could help us by developing those skills. So be honest about what skills are changing and, and don't scare people. Give them the tools, the help, the encouragement to go and, and get skilled up. 
But be honest about what's the same or what's different. I just heard that certainly, you know, as we all know, ever increasing interest in online capacity in all sorts of ways. So, you know, helping people understand how are we doing that as a business, as a strategy, and what can you do to help? It's certainly clear there's going to be winners and losers. Those that adapt are going to do well. And I could throw out another survey, but I think we've had a lot of those already. Uh, Essentially, a certain number of organizations, usually a small percentage, are good at adapting. They're good at saying, uh, here's what I do. I'm either going to do it differently, do something completely differently, or at least deliver it differently. And there's more than half of the organizations struggle with that. And those are the ones that are going to do well. So there could be a discussion point in here about figuring out how are you going to reinvent yourself when and as required to make sure that you can be successful. Don't just assume that it's all tickety-boo. Here we are talking about what to do with employees. But when you reopen, you may need to think about how you do business differently, change some of your processes, possibly change delivery of products and services by listening to your clients as much as you're listening to your employees. Our number five is is around dealing with, I'll say a concept that we touched on earlier with the grass, the idea of of survivor's guilt. I think it's important to ensure that your people are as much as possible on side, well looked after, etc. We've talked a lot about that already, not going to repeat it. But how you operate as a business, what is it you're doing? And more about how you're doing it, I think, is something you better be reconsidering as well. So are you reinventing yourself, and I say yourself, your organization, and what it does, and how the people work in it? Are you reinventing yourself, you know, a little bit, a lot, not at all? I would think it's fair to say that of how things have been, let's say, pre-2020, we'll go back to a certain sense of normal. That's just my take on it from listening to a lot of people and reading a lot of newspapers and listening to to newscasts and podcasts. But I think there will be some things differently. And I think if you want to be at the front of the pack, you should spend some time, again, with your people saying, hey, how do we deliver things now? What should we be doing differently? How can we still reach out to our clients and be both relevant, uh, maybe cutting edge, eh, maybe not, but just meeting them where they need to find us? And in that sense, maybe you're redoing some business processes, maybe you're introducing new products, maybe you're just delivering them differently. I think there's another part of reopening is to figure out how the business may have to change so that everybody can be successful in it. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And I think, you know, part of it is that people, when they're they're feeling guilty, they sometimes just don't know what to do. And I think to your point, Michael, it's a great one. If you're challenging people to come up with new ideas, not leaving innovation to some innovation team and everyone else is off doing the real thing, but instead hold people accountable that uh, by this Friday, I want three new ideas from your team about some things we can do differently. Really put everyone in the challenge of having to come up with new and different ideas. Some of you will know part of uh, an organization called McKayCO Forums, and in that organization, some great illustrations they've been having members have Dragon's Den type ideas where they have really quick sessions where members, uh, chairs, other people are coming up with new products, new ideas, and the plan is these will be rolled out in the next two weeks. So holding people accountable by asking everyone to help find some new and different ways to increase our ability to be agile is a very good response that you can do to our factor number five. Number six, celebrate. It may seem to many people this isn't time to to think about celebrating maybe a business success. I've heard people say, yes, you know, I feel a little bit guilty when I say my business is going well and others aren't. And that can be the same within the organization or across organizations. But at the same time, you can't tamp that down. There needs to be some celebration. Hey, we did a great job. You did a great job. That was wonderful success. Uh, There 
this is a time of a lot of turmoil, but we need to feed the human spirit. And I think the human spirit needs some acknowledgement that that was well done when indeed it has been well done. And that's what we're looking for. And we need to carry that forward because that will breed success. That will get us back to normal faster, I believe. Be prepared to be on the lookout for what's going well. What should you applaud? What should you point out that, hey, that's great. We could have a little bit more of that. That would be good for us as an organization. We often call it applying the golden thread. So take some of those big numbers that you have in your strategic plan, in your operating plan, but celebrate, you know what, this and the fact that we got these five things done this, this month, that is going to take us to that new number and show people the connections and why you are, give them data to show what they're doing and how they are helping to actually meet those challenging goals that you have in front of them. And, you know, related to that, Michael, why don't you share that story you were telling me about Best Buy? I think that's a great one. Many organizations have newsletters. What Best Buy did was they now do it digitally instead of just being called a lift. It's now called the uplift. And the idea being it's supposed to both uplift people's spirits by letting you know what's going on, but even just moving to a digital format is going sig to signal to people that, hey, that's a little bit different. That's that may be more about how we're going to deliver things in a virtual manner. So doing some things like this can signal to people that it's a bit of a new day, that we're looking for new ideas, and that we're open to some of that. So things like that, as small perhaps as they may seem initially, can be sending a significant signal about how you're going to change and address how you operate your business. So those are the sorts of things that you know, pull those ideas from the front line would be very helpful. That same Best Buy story, they decided not only to post it digitally, but they put it in the elevator, also called a lift. And so then they talked about uplift. But then, you know, you can make a golden thread and tie that concept to what we're talking about in terms of why we are have optimism or why we really believe we can meet this number. And so just being able to connect those things together can really help people to excel. So, you know, in, in summary, what we've been talking about are, are six things and want to challenge you as a leader to think about how well are you and your peers doing these in an organization. So we talked about getting input from stakeholders to find out what it's going to take to reopen, bringing people back as many as possible, if not for a day or two a week, if not longer, ensuring that your communications are honest and clear, uh, are addressing and preventing grass from growing too big, making sure you're clear about what's going to be different and what's the same, whether it's skilling up or otherwise, helping deal with survivor's guilt by getting holding people accountable to come up with new ideas, and finally, celebrating inspiring or uplifting news to show people why you have cause for optimism. So, Michael, some final thoughts? A couple things come to mind. One is, as I sit and listen to these ideas, and I think they're good ones, people are going to feel like, I'm not sure that's enough. I, I think I need more to be able to manage this situation. I think we're in, in a climate where people's leadership and management skills are going to be severely challenged. They're is no silver bullet here in terms of dealing with this situation. You have to draw on your experiences, you have to draw on your organizational values, your personal values, and determine what's the right thing to do when there's no clear roadmap for this. And it's going to be an exercise probably in crisis management, something a lot of people don't necessarily like or deal with well, but it's going to be ongoing. It's not going to be an event or two. It's six or eight months. We've already had, I believe, six months so far. 
of the current pandemic and, and associated negative economic impacts due to, to shutdowns. Understand that if you don't think you're doing a great job, you're probably not alone. Go back to some of the things that have worked for you in terms of your success as a manager and a leader. Try and incorporate the points that we've offered today to build on top of what you've normally done. And, you know, go out there and do the best you can. And I'll add to that list, also listen. So because it's not a predictable time, you maybe need to listen more. So if you normally just get an employee survey once a year, I'd look at doing some different things. There's lots of really creative ways to do them through webinars and so forth that are confidential. But I would recommend that you're doing some pulse checks much more frequently. This is new waters and you can't assume that you are not swimming naked. I know people always find examples helpful. And thinking of one of our clients, they have the same challenges of everyone else. They're doing some things in their mind well and other things they struggle with. I think overall they're quite effective. And everybody went home to work because they could no longer work from the office. What I think, and I'm really more speaking from their perspective, not mine, what they think they did very well, they being the senior leadership, they, they made sure people had a screen. They made sure they had the laptop that worked. They had the right connection. They had necessary ergonomic chairs, etc. Either taken from the office or provided to people. And they did as much as possible. They found that you know people were very appreciative of that, above and beyond some might say. But their productivity, their output remained about the same. They were actually pretty happy with that. They they picked up a few pieces of business, some contracts, significant ones, to help other people deal with the current COVID-19 and how you deal with it. So from that perspective, it went well. The cracks that emerged were more around people working remotely for so long, they lost touch. They lost that connection with people. And that was back to that survey I referenced earlier. The other things that people have found is that there's uh, there's not that same bumping into you in the hall and, hey, I had this idea. I'm glad I found you. I hadn't really thought about reaching out to you yet. So let, can we have a chat right now? That sort of stuff is missing. The other piece that they noted, and I'll just, I'll just stick to these two. So one, collaborative spark, that spontaneous collaborative spark is missing. It's tough to schedule a Zoom meeting when you want to spontaneously have a discussion. Kind of takes a little bit of the, the, the oomph away from it. The other piece they noted was that a lot of their managers aren't managing particularly well in a remote situation. They're struggling with how to do that, which probably meant they were struggling to manage people at all. And that's brought back to our earlier point about this is exposing some, some folks, but they've now had to shore up some of their managerial individuals. It's not so much that they're they're not making the grade, they themselves feel like they're floundering, that they're not doing a good job. They've had to shore that up by applying resources to help people through coaching and a little bit of training to try and get them up to speed. So they, uh, they are doing, in my view, a, a really good job of it, but they're grappling with things they haven't grappled with before. And again, my point earlier, they are using whatever resources and experiences they have available to them and they're putting together solutions on the run. If it works great, if not, let's try something new and they're, they're moving on quickly. So it can be done, but it's chaotic for sure. As we come to the end of today's podcast, thank you for listening. And to remind you that you don't have to do all six points. So think about our six points and try and identify which one do you are you currently doing really well? And is there one of those six that you could take action in the next two weeks in order to address it, just do it a little bit better. And if you're not sure which one you're doing well, which one you aren't, ask your staff. If you're not sure what you should do now that you've identified what you need to do differently, feel free to give us a call. We can have a virtual coffee, we can chat over the phone, and we even don't mind spontaneous Zoom calls. We look forward to hearing from you, and thank you for joining us. Good, folks.